Well, it'd be my joy if you would join me in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 will be in verses 37 through 54. And as we read this passage, you might see or think that it's, how is this going to be our joy to be hearing about the Pharisees? How is it going to be our joy to hear about our self-righteousness, our own inward sin and the truth is, when I talk to people sometimes about Christ Fellowship, I say, what do you like about Christ Fellowship? And one of the things that they often say is, well, you all talk about our sin. I'm used to going to churches where they talk about the world's sin and the sin out there, but when I come here, you talk about my sin. And, and what I want us to see this morning is that this is a good grace of God. To, to expose our hearts, to show us ourselves that we might see our sin, that we might see our self-righteousness, that we might be laid open and humble before him so that we might love and adore him. So I'll read from Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, beginning of verse 37, it says this. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. He said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask, Lord, instead of our, our hearts defending ourselves or taking up for ourselves. But Lord, we pray that you would expose us 
today, Lord, that this, this passage this week has, Lord, it has troubled me, it's disturbed me, it's, it's exposed me, Lord, and I pray that this morning it would do the same for all of us. That by the power of your Spirit, in your kindness, Lord, would you expose our sin and self-righteousness, Lord, that we might find forgiveness in Jesus, that we might find complete, perfect, spotless righteousness in Jesus, in Him alone. Lord, I have no hope that my words can do this, but Lord, I have complete hope in your word and your spirit. So would you do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been sitting at a stoplight and you, you look down for just a, a few 30 seconds? Just a few 30 seconds. Maybe you're reading a text message or you've pulled up ESPN on your phone or Facebook or if you're really holy, you're looking at the Bible on your phone just for a second. And then all of a sudden it happens. Someone honks at you. Has that ever happened to anybody? Someone honks at you. And, and now what happens in that moment? What do you do? Well, if you're really holy, you say in your heart that, you know what, they're right. I should have been paying attention. Maybe you'll even wave your hand. Thanks for the help. Sorry, I was distracted, right? But no, not me. It immediately, I go straight like inner lawyer mode. Anybody else do that as well? Nobody else looks at their phone. Sorry, I'm, the, I'm confessing sin here. Why, why, why do they think they can honk at me? Who do they think they are honking at me? Why do they feel like they need to do this? I mean, I was just going along, minding my business. Yeah, I looked down for a split second. I, I just looked a second ago and it was red. The, the other lanes were flying by. And yet, you feel like you can honk at me. Well, the same thing happens when we open our Bible and we read about the Pharisees. Our inner lawyer often comes out in, in a second. And, and we see the Pharisee as everyone else but me. We have this uncanny ability to see everyone else's guilt, everyone else's sin, and to see ourselves as, as good. To see ourselves as enough. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, we're all on very good terms with ourselves. And we can always put up a good case for ourselves. Am I right? I mean, the, the Pharisee is never me. It's never you, is it? It's, it's anyone who's a little better than me. Anybody who's a little more serious, a little too serious, a little holier than thou. It's the one who cares a little too much, who acts or performs a little bit better than me, but it's never me. So with a, tempta a temptation with a passage like this is to hear Jesus's words and to talk and to see he's talking about everyone else but you. The temptation is to sharpen your elbows and to, to get ready to poke your spouse really good over the next couple minutes. 
The temptation is to give your, your mom or your friend, your roommate, your, even your kids the evil eye. Like, listen up, put, put down the crayons. He's talking about you right now. The, the temptation is to think to yourself, do you know who should have been here today? It's a shame that so-and-so couldn't be here to hear this message. This sermon was tailor-made for him or for her. Well, the good news is that God in his good providence has you here today. Has you here in this moment to hear this message. And it's nothing but God's good grace that he might expose and leave exposed your sin and and leave exposed your self-righteousness that you lean on and expose your need, your desperate need for Jesus. So, We should all just be praying in our hearts right now in this moment. Lord, would you expose the inner Pharisee in me? Would you expose me for my good? And would you not leave me exposed, but would you fill me with Jesus? Would you show me more of Jesus? And so over the next few minutes, I want to do, I want to talk about six dangers of being self-righteous. Six dangers that show up in being a Pharisee. And I pray that every single one of these is like a Polaroid picture. You know, when you take a Polaroid picture and at first it looks really fuzzy, you can't really see who it is, and you shake it a little bit and you put it up on the wall until finally you say, there I am, look, look at our picture. Well, I pray over the next few minutes the Holy Spirit would use His Word, use God's Word to Put up some Polaroids where you can look at and say, you know what, that's me. I see me in that picture. And the first one is this, the the danger of the external over the internal. The Pharisees are so surprised when Jesus comes over for dinner. They're so surprised that he just starts eating without properly washing before. The the religious leaders had these clear rules of what you had to do, how you had to wash before you start to eat. And here's Jesus just rushing ahead, eating without washing. It's like you can see their religious eyeballs rolling. I picture the Pharisee like my wife when I just start jumping in and eating at Freddy's and, and I look over and she's just holding the hand sanitizer like, what are you doing? This is crazy. But Jesus makes it clear in this moment. He makes it clear that they're focusing on keeping all the rules. But but they're missing the cleansing of the, the heart. They're worried about what people are doing on the outside. But Jesus, he is concerned about the inside. The Pharisees look so good on the outside. They can check all the boxes. They look so religious. But inside, they're full of greed. They're full, he says, of wickedness. We too can do this, can't we? We can be overly concerned about outward appearances and under-concerned about our own hearts. We, we try so hard to touch up our outward appearance to look just right when we walk in on Sunday morning. We, we say all the right things. Bless, sister. Good to see you. Oh, it's been a blessing week. Oh, it's great. 
We can try so hard to touch up our outward appearance and yet leave the, the lust and the jealousy and the pride and the anger untouched in our hearts. We do this in our own hearts. We do this in the hearts of others. We do this in the hearts of our kids, don't we? we Many of us many of us would rather our kids be great rule keepers rather than desperate Jesus lovers. We would settle for our kids to be great rule keepers instead of being humble and broken and desperate for Jesus. Listen brothers and sisters, we we must always aim at the heart We must always be asking the question over and over again daily. What's going on in my heart? The question is not about what are you doing or what are you not doing. Christianity is not a performance to be performed. No, the question is why are you doing it? What's going on in your heart? That, that's what matters to Jesus. That's what Jesus sees. It's the danger of focusing on the external instead of the internal. The, the second one, the danger of majoring on the minors. What does this mean? It, it means when we take small matters, small matters, and we make them the utmost importance in our Christian life, but yet we take the large things, the large matters, and we make them insignificant. We shrink them down to being nothing of importance to ourselves. The Pharisees, he says here, they're focused in verse 42 on the tithing on every little thing, giving a tenth of the tiniest spice, offering a tenth of, of mint or rue or herb. Can you imagine this morning if I was like, come here, give me a, a tenth of your burger seasoning. Like, it's the, it's the smallest of things. They're so laser focused on the little things of the law. So particular about their religious preciseness. While the, the large matters, issues of justice, issues of the, the love of God, they're totally neglecting. You know, Jesus is sounding a lot like the Old Testament prophets. This is on repeat in the Old Testament where the prophets would say, Surely you're, sure you're bringing your tithe in this week. And sure, you're making all the right sacrifices. You're bringing all the right offerings to the temple. But there's people in Israel who are hungry. There are people who are broken all around you. People who, who are not loved. People who are neglected. And you don't even see them. Listen to Isaiah 58. The people were boasting of their great fast that they were holding. And Jesus says, I mean, Isaiah says this in Isaiah, the Lord says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? You're boasting and you're fasting, but you're missing the brokenness around you. Maybe Jesus this morning would say to us, yes, 
You read all the best theological books. But what about loving that lonely church member that nobody cares about? Yes, you might hit like on a religious post on Facebook. You might share it with someone else. But what about pursuing holiness on that same phone? Your heart, your heart will be broken. You'll talk about it. You'll post about that scene in a Pixar movie. Well, what about bitterness towards your wife that you don't feel very broken over? Oh, we often can focus on the particular things that we can measure. The particular things that we can do. The self-righteousness that we can offer the particular things that we think can separate us from the other people that are not as good as us. But what about simply loving like Jesus? What about simply loving people like Jesus? What if Christianity is more about the things that you can't measure than the things you can? What about focusing on things that you can't quantify, things you can't measure, like loving people, like listening to people, like sitting with people, like like fighting for people, like caring for people, being present and loving people. The danger of majoring on the minors. The third danger is the danger of loving being liked. See, the Pharisees, they loved the attention. They loved being noticed by the crowds. They they loved elaborate greetings. Whenever they walked into marketplace, they wanted people to to stand and applaud them and, and to give them elaborate greetings as they walked in. People getting up from their seats so they could sit down. They wanted people to stop everything because they wanted to steal their attention. They wanted to steal their affection. And we can do this too, right? Too many of us lust after being liked. Too many of us long to be loved. We love being loved. We love if people would stop everything and notice us. We love when people stop everything to like our posts. We, we love when people turn their attention on us. Even in my own heart, it's, I know it's because I'm radically insecure. And I know that I, I think I know I need something from you that only you can give me. Really, there's a lust when we want to receive praise from people. To receive from people what I should only long to receive from God. Like we were created, every single one of us were created to be known by the Father. And to be loved by the Father. And to be received and welcomed by the Father. And to find all our joy in Him. But yet, oh, we long to be known by people. And we long to be loved by people. We want to be received and welcomed by people. And to find our joy And what we can receive from people. If we're honest, this happens so often in our hearts. I know it can happen in my 
heart. So let me ask you, do you love being praised by a boss or, or by a comment on social media more than you love being loved by God? Would you rather hear, hear well done from the lips of a friend or would you rather to hear well done from your heavenly Father who rejoices over you, who the Bible says sings over you? The heart of the issue is that we're really not secure in who we are in Christ and all we've been given in Christ. We need a fresh sense that, that we're not only forgiven as sinners, we are adored as His children. Do you realize that that's true of you if you are in Christ? You're not just forgiven of your sins You're loved and liked by the Father. He loves you. He receives you. He welcomes you to himself. Yeah, pastor, but you don't know my sin. You don't know why he would want to stiff arm me. No, Jesus welcomes and receives you to himself. I love what Dane Ortland says. He says, the doctrine of justification, that's being Declared righteous in Christ. The the doctrine of justification frees us not only from the judgment of God in the future, but also from the judgment of people in the present. That's really good news. The, The doctrine of justification frees us not only from the judgment of God in the future, it frees you from the judgment of people in the present. Because one of the scariest things about this is when we long for the affection, when we long for the attention of people, what we're doing in our hearts is we are robbing God from the affection and the attention that He alone deserves, the glory that He alone is worthy of. And so in our hearts right now, we should be praying, Lord, captivate my heart. Captivate my heart with Jesus so that I long for people to have their affection and their attention on Jesus. The one that I I want them to see what I see and love what I love. It's the danger of loving being liked. Number four, the danger of looking like you're alive. The danger of looking like you're alive. If, if there's anybody in the temple that looked like they had it all together, it would be the Pharisees. You think about like the varsity team Christians, the one that people notice when they walk down the aisle. They turn their heads and see because they had it all together. They, they knew all the rules. They didn't just know them like the back of their hand. They kept them perfectly. They kept them way better than you. And they knew it, and you knew it. If there was anyone who looked alive, who we would say that person has already arrived, it was them. Yet Jesus calls them in verse 44. He he says something that probably is more cutting than we really realize. More cutting than maybe we even realize. He says this, you all are unmarked grave. You all are unmarked graves. See, in the Old Testament, if you came across anything that was dead, it made you unclean. 
to touch, to touch a dead body made you unclean. To, to get near an unmarked grave would make you unclean. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, not only are you dead, but you are deadly to anyone who comes near you. Not only are you dead, you're deadly. What you teach, it's deadly to anybody who comes near to you. Here's what Paul would say in 2 Timothy 3. He says that these people have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's what Paul tells us. They, they have the appearance of godliness. They have appearance of being alive, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Here's the, here's the scary reality for us in the Bible Belt. Every single one of us here this morning know what it looks like to look alive. We all know what it looks like to look alive. We know what to, to say to sound spiritual. We know what to look like, to, to look godly. We know how to raise our hands at the right part of the bridge, right when that one part of the song happens. We know how, how it looks like to, to look earnest, how to act like I'm tearing up when I'm talking, what verses or what books to quote, how to pray so eloquently, how to pray all the right things. I mean, listen, if, you, if you're around Christ Fellowship for a month, you will, you will learn how to play the game. You know what people want to hear, what people often say. We, we learn the lingo so quickly. But listen to this. There's only one person we can't fool. The Pharisees could fool everyone in the room, but they couldn't fool Jesus. Listen, the, the Pharisees could fool everybody in the room, but they couldn't fool Jesus. Listen, Jesus tells one church in Revelation chapter 2. He's writing these letters to the churches and he says this. I am he who searches mind and heart. Jesus is saying, I know exactly. And he's the only one who can say this. I know exactly what's going on in your mind and heart right now. He says to another church, he says this. I know your works you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. That sounds like the Pharisees, right? Revelation 3, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I'm not saying that this is you this morning. And I'm sure there's some people with some soft consciences who, who right now the Lord He's, I pray, gives you the assurance that you need to know that you are His. But I also don't want you to be, leave here deceived. Assuming that you are alive when you are really dead. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. That's in the Bible. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. 
And so, how would you pass this test? Not, how did you act? Did you read your Bible this week? How many weeks in a row have you been to church? What nice things have you done? How much money have you given? Have you taken the Lord's Supper? I'm not talking about what you're doing. I'm asking, are you alive in Jesus Christ? I'm asking, have you ever seen your sin against a holy God? Your sin as rebellion against the King who's worthy of all worship? And have you ever turned from that sin, repented of your sin, and run to Jesus? And collapsed all your hope on Jesus because he's the only one who lived a righteous life that you could never live. He's the only one who died on a cross in your place so that he might take all your sin and cover you in his righteousness. Have you cast yourself on him or do you simply know what it looks like to look alive? Do you know everything to say? You know how you sing. Are you alive in Jesus? Listen to these words from Richard Baxter. He, he wrote these words in the 1600s to pastors. This first page of this book to pastors called The Reformed Pastor. He says this to pastors again. See that the work of saving grace be thoroughly wrought in your own souls. Take heed to yourselves, lest you be void of that saving grace of God which you offer to others. And be strangers to the effectual working of that gospel which you preach. And lest while you proclaim to the world the necessity of a Savior, your own heart should neglect Him. And you should miss of an interest in Him and His saving benefits. Take heed to yourselves, lest you perish while you call upon others to take heed of perishing, and lest you famish yourselves while you prepare food for them. And then he says this, Many have warned others that they, that they come not to that place of torment, while yet they hasten to it themselves. Many a preacher is now in hell, who hath a hundred times called upon his hearers to use the utmost care and diligence to escape it. I mean, let's, let's be really blunt that there's going to be a, a lot of pastors and, and deacons Good religious people, homeschool moms, pastor wives. There's going to be all types of people who look like they had it together who will spend eternity in hell. People who grew up in a society where you could pray an empty ritualistic prayer with an empty heart and never be alive in Christ. This morning, I hope you hear Christ saying, don't settle for your own self-righteousness. Don't rest in your rule-keeping. But instead, run to me. Run to Jesus. Run and rest everything on Jesus. You can do this right now without even 
listening to the rest of the sermon, just cry out to Jesus that he might save you from your sin, from your self-righteousness, and that he might be enough for you. The danger of looking like you're alive. Number five, the danger of heaping burdens instead of relieving burdens. These religious lawyers are standing nearby and they're feeling the scope on them. They're feeling targeted by Jesus too. Now when, when I say religious lawyers, don't think criminal defense lawyer. Don't think Morgan and Morgan and Morgan and Morgan and Morgan. Don't, don't think about criminal lawyers. No, think about religious lawyers, people, experts, experts in the law. They knew it, frontwards and backwards, all 613 laws. And they look over at Jesus and they say, Jesus, I feel like you're taking aim at us too, we who are teaching God's law. And Jesus says, yeah, I am talking about you. Because you load heavy burdens on people and you don't lift a finger to help them. They might be teaching God's law to people, but they're not teach, their teaching doesn't lead to life. Instead of helping broken and burdened people, they're hurting them by adding weight to them. And, and this is exactly what religion does. This is exactly what religion does in our society. Religion doesn't relieve burdens. It only adds to your burdens. Religion doesn't relieve your burdens. It only adds to them. been reading recently a book by Wendell Berry called Jaber Crow. It's a, about a barber in this small town, Port Wilmoth, Port William. And uh, Jaber Crow grows up in this religious community, this fundamental religious, self-righteous community. And he steps back and he writes this in this novel. He says this, It was an atmosphere that I finally had to think about. And when I thought about it, I had to admit that I could not be comfortable in it. I could not breathe a full breath in it. Then he says this, The main thing was that it made me feel excluded from it, even while I was in it. Doesn't that sound like religion? I couldn't breathe a full breath in it. It made me feel excluded from it, even when, while I was in it. Brothers and sisters, this isn't what we get when we come to Jesus. Because Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the invitation. Not that Religion can't give that to you, but when you come to Jesus, you don't feel more burdened, you feel unburdened. In your soul. In Jesus, you don't feel excluded. No, you feel welcomed. You feel relieved. You feel loved. Because being in Jesus, you can now take a full breath. You can breathe like you never have before. And it's not because of anything that you have done. It's solely because of what Jesus has done. 
It's not because of you and your best performance and your best righteousness. It's completely because of Jesus' perfect performance. And his perfect, that just got really bad. Perfect death on a cross and his resurrection. Isn't that what we all long for? Every single one of us here this morning longs for the unburdening of your soul. Every single one of us longs to breathe the full breath of fresh air called being forgiven. Your best obedience can't do that for you. And you heaping demands on other people can't do that for them. We need Jesus and only Jesus. We need Jesus' easy yoke and his burden that's light for us. So this morning, do you want to breathe the fresh air of being forgiven? Do you want to breathe the fresh air of feeling welcomed, being received, being known and loved, not just today, but for forever? Then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus for the unburdening of your soul. The question I've been asking myself this week is, do people feel unburdened or burdened by me? It's a good question for all Christians to ask. Do people feel unburdened when they come to me or do they feel burdened by me? I want people to, to come to me and, and to sense Christ, since the presence of Jesus, they can breathe in grace like never before and not be suffocated by religion. I long for people to be streaming to Christ's fellowship because they come in these doors and they say things like, I never knew grace. I never knew grace until now. I, knew, I never knew what it felt like to feel welcomed and received and for a holy God to fully know me and yet fully love me at the same time. I never knew what it felt like to be in a safe place. Where yes, my sin and my self-righteousness can be exposed. But I find all that I need in Jesus. In this place, I can breathe like I never have before. The final one's the danger of rejecting the truth and hindering others too. These religious lawyers were known for building up tombs and monuments for Old Testament prophets. They, they would even make public statements honoring the Old Testament prophets like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. And they would say nice things about them. But Jesus says, I can see right through this. He says, you think that you're honoring the prophets? Well, actually, you're rejecting the prophets. It's actually worse than that. You're actually killing the prophets. Their blood is on your hand. Because you're not receiving the truth. You're not receiving the very word that's standing right in front of you. You're actually hindering other people from hearing the truth too. For, for people who saw themselves as guardians of the truth, that's a pretty devastating accusation. You're not only rejecting the truth, killing the prophets, you're a roadblock for other people to hear it too. 
Well, the church can do the same thing today, can't we? We can talk about truth while we hinder people from finding it. Think Joel Osteen saying, hey, this is my Bible. I'll say what it says about, believe what it says about me, do what it says. And then to close it and to do the very opposite. But it can happen in any church. Any church that opens the Bible, but the message points you to yourself. It can happen in a church where you talk about Jesus and preach about the gospel, yet all the culture of the church is just about performing. It can happen in your own home where you say you believe grace, but you spend all week withholding love and forgiveness from one another. It happens anywhere where the truth you say you believe is not the truth you live. That's that's what it means to be a Pharisee. And right now, all of us Pharisees, all of us, have two options as we close. All of us Pharisees who had our heart exposed. Maybe you've seen your picture in those Polaroids of you being the Pharisee. Well, one option is you can be like the Pharisees here in our passage who's whose pride is hurt, who seek to provoke Jesus. It says they lie and wait for him. They, they try to catch him. It's, it's a picture of intense opposition. It's the same language in other places. It's about hunting wild animals. It's a heart that says, who does Jesus think he is talking about my sin? Who who does Jesus think he is thinking I'm not righteous? Thinking I'm not enough. Thinking I don't have it together. That's one option. You can be provoked in your pride and to stonewall Jesus this morning. Or the second option, when you're exposed, is is to praise Jesus that your sin is in the light. And to humble yourself in the light of Christ. And to confess what you see in the light. Jesus, I see it. I'm self-righteous. Jesus, I see it. I'm I'm resting in my rule keeping. Jesus, I see it. I, I love being liked. I love being praised by others. Jesus, I see in my own heart that I'm I'm dead. I'm not alive. Jesus, I heap burdens on people that they cannot bear. And what you're saying when you say that is, Jesus, I'm desperate for you. Jesus, you're the only one who can save me from my sin. And you're the only one who can save me from my self-righteousness. Because at the end of the day, the the greatest self-righteous Pharisee is no different than the greatest sinner that you've ever known. We're all the same. They both want to be unburdened. They both want to breathe like never before. They both want freedom. But yet one seeks for freedom in his self-righteousness, in himself, in his performance, while the other one seeks for freedom in his sin. Thinking in his sin will satisfy him and set him free. 
But freedom only comes in Jesus Christ. Freedom only comes in Jesus Christ, in Him alone. We sang it earlier. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Your sin won't satisfy you. Your self-righteousness won't save you. Freedom is only found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would make us free by the power of your Spirit, through your Word this morning, Lord, that you would show us that freedom cannot come For us in our sin and trying to be satisfied by the sin of this world. But Lord, it cannot be found in our self-righteousness. Lord, our best performance is not enough. Our best acts are not enough, Lord. We, We come up incredibly short to you, a perfect and holy and righteous God. But thank you, praise be To you, Father, that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son. The only one who is perfect. The only one who is righteous. Who lived a perfect life for us. And who went to a cross to bear the sin that we deserve. Because we are not righteous, because we're not perfect, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, Lord, he died on the cross in our place and rose again that we might be forgiven of our sin and set free from our self-righteousness to bank all our hope on him. So, Father, would would you help us this morning? Would you help the greatest sinner and the most self-righteous Pharisee? Lord, would you draw us to yourself? Would you welcome us to yourself? Lord, that we might know that we are received and loved and known and adored, not because of us, but because of Jesus. And Lord, would you give us joy unspeakable? And Lord, would you give yourself glory? this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.